this is common sense, but it's not common knowledge. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is our society and the peer pressures that we experience cause us to think through the lens of each individual decision and what I want and what will make me feel good in the moment. Welcome to Getting Money Right, a show dedicated to helping you achieve financial freedom through education and inspiration, so you can be free to pursue your true life's purpose. We are your hosts, Leo Sabo and David Thompson. And on this episode, we're going to talk about some of the choices that can have a long-term negative impact on your finances. So there are certain expenses that when we make them, they really commit us to a long-term expense that has significant impact on everything else we need to spend on. So let's talk about that, and we're going to talk about a few of them and narrow in on one of them. Yeah, and as we narrow in on one, specifically, we're going to be looking at the home and the pressures that people feel around buying a home, Mm -hmm. the deep desires that most people have to own a home. Uh, There is a, a status to that. There's also a comfort to that. There is the safety to feeling like you own something. Actually, um, there's a not just it's not just a feeling; it's a real thing. You really do have more safety, more comfort, more long-term growth in property value over time. There are some real benefits. Mm-hmm. Um, there are values, but then there's also costs, and there's mistakes that people often fall into around home ownership. So we're going to look again just a little bit at some of those numbers and practicalities on owning a home. Uh, inside of this understanding of these major things, these major choices that we make that Mm -hmm. can lead to positive outcomes in our finances or negative. Yeah, so obviously we've kind of given it away that the largest expense we make, the biggest choice we make comes to buying a home, where we live at our our home or our house or wherever we end up living. And so that's one of the bigger expenses. We're going to touch on that to a deeper degree in this episode. But we also want to touch on some of the other expenses that – tend to negatively impact our finances, either if we spend too much on those or we engage in them too often or too early in our life. So, of course, number one is buying a home too soon. We'll come back to that one. But another one is buying a car and not just buying a car, but buying a new car on payments and then repeating that cycle over and over and over again. The best thing that you guys know we have talked about in the past is to pay off your vehicle that you currently have. If you have one on payments right now, you pay it off and then you begin to save every single month. So the next car payment will be either a shorter period of time or you potentially could buy it on cash and buy maybe a less expensive car. And I do believe that over time, if you actually do the math, you'll figure out a way to buy a better and better and better car and a newer car potentially. If you're saving consistently, you can do that rather than consistently having to not only take on the loan and the payment, but pay the interest in addition to it. I know some people say, well, what's the difference, Leo and David? Because ultimately, you're still saving for the car. You're still making a car payment technically. Yes, but understand there's a significant difference in that. If you have a payment where you're paying the car off and the value of your car is actually less than what you actually owe on it, you're trapped in that debt. Whereas if you're saving for it, and you're paying cash for it or potentially having a lot more value in the car than what your balance is, then you're not in a position where you're financially strapped, where you're like, you're committed and there's no way out. Mm -hmm. And there's a big difference between one and the other. The other one is that, of course, there's no interest built into it. So it is less expensive over time. Not only are you not trapped into the payment, but you're spending less of your own money to get the same value car. 
That's right. So the, the best place for you to go, even right now, as you're listening to this episode, uh, or right after, if you're driving right now, don't try to get online, but you need to go over to leosabo.com. I'm on the website right now, and just click on the Access Free Resources or the Access Resources tab, because in there, you'll see the actual budgeting tool, and click on that, how to create a budget or creating a budget tool. And when you create the budget, there's a tab in there that gives you all the spending guidelines. And this is where Leo got that 15% number. And what's really cool about this Excel sheet is that it gives you not just a general guideline, but actually pretty specific to you based on your income, based on your season of life. If you're single, married, have kids, don't have kids, have two kids, have four kids, Mm -hmm. it breaks it down into six quadrants of different unique seasons of life and six different incomes so that you can get as really as close as possible to what the right guideline percentage is for your finances. So when we talk about buying a car and and this idea of, oh, well, I'll just, I don't, I don't have any savings right now, so I'll just go out and buy a, a nice car on payments. The, when you're starting out your financial journey, and when I say you're starting out, you could be 40 or 50 or 60 and just now be resetting and starting over again in your finances, yeah. getting your life in order. So when you're starting to get your finances in order, you always, you always want to live with extra margin in your life. So you always want to look and say, okay, how can I make a, a vehicle purchase that's not going to harm me long term? And how do I create extra margin? I'm going to spend on purpose. I'm going to save before I spend. I'm going to increase my financial margin. If you do it with cash, and that means that you're going to end up with a vehicle probably that's not as nice as you could get if you use debt, but that forces you to learn contentment. It forces you to have that margin, and that margin will grow over time to where you can afford all the nice things, and that'll be great, but having that margin allows you to keep your emotional health. It allows you to keep your relational health strong in this process. So the suggested guideline for transportation is around 15%. Sometimes it's a little less, sometimes it's a little bit more depending on your income. And here's the reality. I have done a lot of counseling and I've seen a lot of different budgets from different people. And I can tell you that probably 80 to 90% of the time, this is an area where they are way over when they have a car payment. If there's a car payment, that will eat up about 10 to 15% of that. Just the car payment. Exactly. (laughs) And now you have the additional expenses of fuel, insurance, tags, all the things that you still have to do, maintenance on your vehicle. And if you don't include those in there, you realize that, yes, maybe you're spending 15% just on the car payment. But when you add all those other things in, now you may be at 25%, which realize 25% of your income if it just goes to your transportation. And then maybe another 30, 35% to your house. Oh. More than half of your income is going to just two areas of your mm-hmm. life. And there's a lot more to allocate for. So that's why we talk about this in this framework because – the choices we make, especially one those one-offs like buying a house or buying a car, can really put us behind. Mm-hmm. Another trend that I've seen, we all have seen over the last probably 10, 15 years, is that more and more of the services that are available to us are pushed to a monthly payment, right? Gym memberships, furniture we buy, right? You can buy furniture and make payments for it. You can rent furniture. You can buy electronics. Even our iPhones today, most people don't pay cash for them anymore. They just pay for them over time. It's built into the bill. TVs, gaming consoles, and software for the for games. Uh, and then the other monthly service, like if you have a home, 
Think about it. Home security, pest control, pool service, lawn care service, and there's so many others. And when we agree to take a membership or a monthly payment, we're committed to that. Mm -hmm. Now that that's no longer an option for us to say, well, you know, yes, yeah, some of those things we can cut out, but if it's a long-term contract or if it's something that we need to pay for the next two, three, four, five years, it limits the ability for us to take care of the other things that we need to do. So what we're trying to communicate through this episode is that when you commit to these obligations long-term, they have significant consequences because you may not be able to save or invest for the next three to five years right. while you have these payments. And you're thinking, well, sometime down the road, I'll, these will be gone and I'll be able to catch up. Believe me, you lose that five years of investing or three years of saving, you're going to be in a much different, worse situation than you would be if you did the opposite. So our encouragement to you is to realize that this is really not commonly thought today. So we want to teach you, we want to bring this to you awareness because this is happening to us. These are things that we think individually when we make these decisions, they don't seem like they're a big deal. Mm -hmm. When you add them up and you commit to more and more and more, it just becomes really difficult to, uh, to maintain a lifestyle that's sustainable. This is common sense, but it's not common knowledge. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is our society and the peer pressures that we experience cause us to think through the lens of each individual decision and what I want and what will make me feel good in the moment. And so I move into a house and I want new furniture and it'll make me feel good. I can go down and I can buy furniture. I can buy $5,000 of furniture on payments. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what the exact payment would be, but for several hundred dollars a month, I can have brand new furniture across my whole house and it's awesome and it feels great. And my friends come over and they love it and they're like, wow, I love your new furniture. I love your new style. And then you bought the furniture, but then now you've got to buy all the accent pieces. And so you're buying little tiny succulents and you're buying, you know, nice bookshelves and now you've got to repaint. All of a sudden, something that felt really great in the moment is now going to trap you in a payment for an extended period of time. If you do that one time and you make that mistake, then you, you're going to feel a little bit of pain. But if you do that with signing up for multiple services, you, know, you do that with your furniture, and then you do that with your electronics, and you buy a TV on payments, I know that most 90, I don't know what the number percent, percent is, but I think 90% of people do that on their phone plans. And, and I, I've gotten to the place where my phone is so important to me. Like, I absolutely understand yeah, can't that. Live without it, I, don't, I don't blame anybody for thinking along those lines with their phone, but we've fallen to the place where I need the premium phone at the highest level at the newest thing every couple of years. And if you lock yourself into multiple forms of these ongoing payments and you overspend just a little bit on your housing and you overspend just a little bit on your car, I mean, all it takes is a few percentage points. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, every day you wake up with anxiety in the morning with stress in the morning, with fear. Uh, if you're in a relationship, you wake up um, it, frustrated. Yeah. And that comes out in your relationship. And, and your, your spouse, they wake up frustrated. And they're, they're looking at you and you're looking at them. I mean, it, it's just a few percentage points. And all of a sudden, the numbers, all the margin is gone and your mental health begins to erode and you feel this heavy, heavy pain. And I want you to know, that's not weird. Leo and I see that all the time as we counsel people, but it's because of these three major areas, mm -hmm. housing, transportation, and then these one-off quick purchases that felt great in the moment, but locked somebody into an extended payment plan. 
and it'll just it'll just kill you financially. Yeah. And so that's our heart is that we would say it it needs to be common knowledge, not just common sense, but we need to continue to share this. We want you to share it with other people because if you can help shift the tide because there's a constant barrage of marketing coming at you and coming at your friends and coming at the people around you where they're saying I need a house, I need a house, I need a, I need the newest car, I need a luxury brand, I need to have nice furniture, I need I need the best phone plan, I need to have, you know, I need somebody to mow my lawn and take care of my, you know, uh, pest control and all these things some of this stuff you can do yourself and and you can eliminate a huge amount of cost and just really open up margin in your life. And so and you can have contentment. If you choose contentment and you choose to be happy with where you're at, you grow margin, then you can still move into some of these great things. And I think the tricky part is you see people who've done it well for a long time. They were very content with a very low lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Over time, they were able to add in different things while still maintaining margin. And after five years, 10 years, 15 years, now they have a lot of nice stuff. Yeah. And you look at their lifestyle and you think, man, I want that. But you try to do it year one where it took them 15 years to get there. Yeah. This reminds me of the tortoise and the hare. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right? I mean, you can jump out of the gate and buy everything you could possibly you know, fit into a payment and experience that lifestyle you think will make you happy and fulfilled, but on the back end, really lose a lot of ground, right? Because eventually the steady, the person who waits, practices self-control and delay gratification, over time, they're going to overtake you financially because they're going to make better decisions, they're going to have less waste, and over time, they're going to be at a better place. Let's talk about why is this such a big deal today for young people to jump into a house before they're ready. Because I think this is a major issue. I remember when I was first married, I was 20 years old when I got married, and I bought a home at 24. Now, the interesting thing about my situation is that I wasn't actually looking to buy a home. <laughs> you know, I, I was in an apartment, I was perfectly content being in an apartment, didn't have really dreams about buying a home. And I don't know why that is. Maybe my wife did, I, it just wasn't on my radar at the time. And my sister got a real estate license and then started talking to me about it and said, you know, you could do this. You could put 5% down. And I thought, I didn't even know I could do it. So without really pursuing it, I got into it. But I bit off more than I could chew. And eventually, it was hurtful because three months after we moved into our brand, not brand new home, but new to us, I ended up getting laid off. Mm. And we had to really struggle to make that payment. We couldn't sell it. The market was down. So there was many factors that kept us locked into that, but it was difficult. If I had to do it over, I would not do that, having the knowledge that I have now. So as I'm coaching my kids right now, they're both in apartments. I'm saying to them, look, I, I know how much you want this, but really do the math. Let's sit down and talk about this. And I did that with my one of my daughters recently and her husband. And we talked through it and they realized, man, we want this really bad. All our friends are getting houses, all of that. But but we recognize how difficult that would make our life. We would both have to work full time. And right now she's a stay-at-home mom, works part-time. So there's some choices that you make. When you make them financially, you also make some life choices, right? You buy too much house, you're both going to be committed to full-time work. Mm-hmm. That means you might drop off your kids at daycare. You might have to get a babysitter. You might have additional costs. Is that worth it? I think you really have to count the cost. Right. But there's a huge amount of pressure right now on young people to buy a home, which I don't think is different than previous generations, but homes are more expensive today. And kids coming out of college today don't have the same opportunities for a high income like they used to, especially in our environment today. Yeah, the rates might be really historically low, but if it's a $500,000 house, 
and you have a hundred thousand dollar income and it's five times your income, nope. it's not going to work financially. You might be able to swing that payment, but you're not going to be able to do much else. Right. Well, and you can swing the payment uh, if everything goes perfect in your life. Mm-hmm. But as soon as anything goes wrong, <laughs> right? As soon as anything goes wrong, you're going to get wrecked, and and that's the struggle. And I think that it's interesting because you know we talked about people that maybe have done it well for a long time, and now they have a lot of margin and they have a lot of nice stuff. I know, I I experienced this myself coming right out of college. And I remember um, I was walking around the block with my dad. And I I think, I don't know if I was engaged. I think I was engaged, Mm -hmm. but wasn't married yet. And I think I'd been working at my job, you know, full-time career type job out of college for one, maybe two years. I think probably a year maybe. And uh, and I just remember asking my dad, like, hey, I'm about to get married. Yeah, I'm about to move you know, into an apartment or somewhere. And I was like, am I foolish not to buy a house right now? Like, should I buy a house right now? Mm-hmm. It, is it dumb if I don't buy a house? Right. Because it, it was a financial thing. It's interesting thing. that you asked the question that way. Yeah, that's how I asked it. It's like somebody must have influenced you to think, gosh, if I don't buy a house, I must be dumb. Right. 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 Exactly. And I know that pressure is still out there today. Absolutely. And, and I didn't want to make a, I thought I'd be making a poor financial decision if I didn't buy a house. Yep. And honestly, that just came from a, a place of a lack of knowledge and understanding and realizing how expensive houses are, uh, that it's not just your mortgage and your insurance and your taxes, but there's so many other expenses that go into that. I mean, you think about, it's funny, but yard maintenance, it costs. And and you can do it yourself. And that can be a, a good, good way to handle it. But you've got to go to Home Depot. You've got to buy the bug spray. You've got to buy the weed and feed and lay down the fertilizer. It's it's not hard. People have done this for generations. People taking care of their houses. They've done even more than we do today. Um, you've got to potentially install your own sprinkler system. Or you've got to learn, and you've got to learn how to build that out. You got to pay somebody for it. Uh, you've got to figure out the furniture in a home, which is obviously going to be a bigger space than an apartment. Uh, the art that I talked about earlier, and really those finishing touches, the countertops. You know, you're gonna, you're gonna. I love my countertops, but after a number of years, you're kind of like, wait a minute, yeah, these are old. I mean, if I'm if I'm being honest, like these countertops looked really great, you know, whatever this house was built. I'm sure they were really modern 15, 20 years ago. But now all of a sudden I'm like, okay, I don't need this, but I do want it. But the reality (laughs) is that if you don't upgrade your home every 10 to 15 years, if you do decide to sell, you're going to take a hit because styles change, people's, you know, wishes of how houses are supposed to be built change. Recently, uh, our neighbor next door to us moved out. It was a renter and the people who own the home decided to upgrade now they're they're renting the facility and i'm not sure if they're going to sell it once they get done or if they're still renting it but they bought it many years ago it actually was their first home and then eventually they moved on and, and kept it as a rental and we noticed because our house is so close and we could see in the kitchen window they're almost opposite each other and we could see they tore down a wall between the kitchen they're making this open concept listen that costs money mm-hmm. and about every 10 to 15 years that's going to be on the radar for everybody. And mm-hmm. if you don't do it, all of us have seen houses that haven't had any upgrades in 30, 40 years, and they look like they were built in the 60s and 70s, and they right. got to be gutted. Oh, yeah. And that's time. a huge cost. So either way, the cost is there. Right. You can't ignore it. You're either going to pay for it while you're doing it, or you're right. going to pay on the back end because you're not going to make any money off of it. Yeah. So let's go back to, to 22-year-old David Thompson, or maybe I was 23, 24, about to get married, and I'm like, Dad, am I dumb if I don't buy a house? 
And I just, I didn't have any of these thoughts in my mind. I didn't know about HVAC. I didn't know about hot water heaters. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some kids, their parents teach them all about that as we're growing up. And honestly, my dad tried. (laughs) I mean, uh, my dad, my dad's an engineer. He would have taught me every little thing that I wanted to learn, but I didn't want to learn. Yeah. I mean, can, can anybody relate to that? Like my dad knew a ton. My dad fixed up our house. My dad, well, I would say my dad mowed our lawn. I mowed our lawn because I was free labor. (laughs) I mean, let's be honest, that's what kids do. That's right. And so, so, you know, I, I knew how to do some basic maintenance, but I never spread weed and feed. I never, I never went and did the bug maintenance. I never bought, went to Home Depot, picked up uh, the spray, learned how to mix the concentrate in water with a pump and go spray it around the edge of the yard. Uh, I definitely never had to d- dig out the side of the foundation to pour in, you know, termite killer, which is extremely, you know, dangerous and hard to deal with and you gotta get it just right. I mean, you do pay people for that kind of service. Right. Because it's valuable, it helps protect your home, but it's expensive. And mm-hmm. so you got you get twenty three year old David Thompson walking around the block with his dad one night. Hey, and and some people don't have dads. I mean, let's take one other step. I'm I'm asking my dad, who else do I ask if I wasn't educated in this? Yeah. Where do I go for that information? Like, if I don't have a dad, or if I have a broken household, um, and I don't have a, a mentor I can talk to. So you have young people, and this is just real. I was one of them who don't have all the information, mm-hmm. and they want to make a decision, and and then they're being told, well, it, you're throwing away money if you're renting. And if you hear that just a handful of times from society, but you don't understand the cost of a home, oh my goodness, mm-hmm. you're going to end up making a decision based on faulty information, lack of knowledge. And that's that's why Leo and I have Getting Money Right, is we want to help fill in the picture for people. Yeah. We, we want you to walk around the block, listen to an episode of Getting Money Right, that's right, and learn some things that will save you a ton of heartache in the future. Yeah. We don't want you to drive a clunker car because we want you to look bad and, and have a bad experience in a vehicle. We want you to drive a low and inexpensive vehicle because we want you to succeed long-term. Yeah. We don't want you to, to rent for the first three years of your life because we want you to just be in a small dwelling and you know force you to feel something uncomfortable. No, no, we want you to experience margins so that when you buy the house, it's a huge blessing in your life and yeah. you love it. And you're like, this is, this is the perfect time. So I say all that just to say that you know a lot of kids, myself included, um, we want to imitate, not, I call myself a kid, I'm 34 <laughs> now, but um, still a kid. yeah, still a kid. So, you know, but at 23, yeah, you want to imitate your parents' lifestyle because my parents have been living in actually the same home for about, uh, I, I lived there from age five to age something. And so at least 20 years, yeah. give or take. Yeah. And so, you know, I got to see all the nice stuff we had in the house. Yeah, and it I wasn't got to like live super that nice. Lifestyle. I got to live this lifestyle that my parents had built 20, 30 years to get to. Yeah. And now I'm going to move out and I'm, I'm like, well, I still want the nice television and I still want to have all these amenities. And not that we had huge amenities, but I want to have all these nice things. An equal lifestyle. I want to have an equal life. I want four bedrooms. I want a pool. I want this. It's like, no, 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 no. You're a 23-year-old kid out of college with your first-time job, no, you know, no net worth to speak of, mm-hmm. financial net worth. Like you're going to be in a one-bedroom apartment for a couple of years, yeah. and that's okay. Yeah. And not only is it okay, it's actually really healthy and good for you to learn contentment. And then the ta- the time came to buy a home. So I just want to say, it's hard because yeah. when 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 I was young and I still am, I there was that desire to imitate somebody else's lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And you just can't do that 
when you're right out of college or you have your first job and you haven't saved and you don't have the margin? Yeah, I mean, the pressure is there. This is why we are talking about it, because we recognize it's a pressure that's there. But we're also wanting you to understand that the pressure isn't always the right pressure, meaning sometimes, you know, sometimes people help us to aspire to a better way of doing things or a better life or whatever. And that's that's good. This pressure could actually take into a place where you're spending more than you can committing yourself to a lifestyle that's unattainable. Now, you can muscle it. You can work two jobs. You can do your best to keep up with it. But you really should look at the value you're receiving versus the work you're putting in. What is it costing you to live to this standard? I'm reminded of a blog post that Rachel, uh, my daughter Rachel, posted on my blog uh, a little while back, and it's called Contentment Over Compromise. And in it, she shares some really great tips on how to really achieve happiness and contentment wherever you are. Her and her husband are in that season of life where they have a child, one more on the way. They would love to have a home, a nice closed-in backyard, all of that. But they just, right now, is not a good financial decision for them. So she's talking about in this blog the pressure she feels to do that, exactly what we've been talking about. But then comes to a decision to say, look, that's coming. It's down the road, but it's coming. We know it is. We're going to work toward that. We're going to get there. Mm -hmm. In the meantime, though, here's some things that I'm doing and some things that you can do to find that contentment, that happiness, um, so that you can feel like the home that you have right now can be a happy and fulfilling place that you live. And I think it's a great article, so I just encourage you to go there. We'll add it in the show notes in the link so that if you want to read that, I think it'd be a great read for you. But David, let's get into some of the reasons why people want to buy a home. And then let's talk about like the specifics. What are the criteria for actually buying a home? What's some of the healthy things that, that people can look through to, to determine whether this is the right time or when would be the right time? Yeah. Well, when you talk about the reasons, let me just make a few statements. One, don't buy a house because somebody told you you should or because they told you that paying rent is throwing money away. Mm -hmm. um, it, that, in my mind, is somebody probably either who has an agenda to push you towards a home, like obviously somebody who'd be in the sales side of that, the realtor, the bank, the mortgage lender, yep. or somebody who's well-meaning but doesn't have a full picture of your finances. Right. And you're the only one that will know your full picture of finances. So you're the only one who can answer that question. So don't buy because somebody told you to. Don't buy because your friends are doing it. Uh, because your best friend just bought a house, now you need a house. No, no, no. Their financial situation is different than your financial situation. Don't buy out of peer pressure. Don't buy because interest rates are low. Today's interest rates are unbelievable. Mm. If you have an understanding of the industry and how things work um, on the mortgage interest rate side, and uh, you know, it is unreal. I, I want to go out and buy a house just because the interest rates are low, even though I, I'm not in a position to it. I'm not going to, but I'm like, like another house. I'm like, yep. oh man, this would be awesome. It, it's one small factor in the overall buying a home purchase decision. And just because one factor is really lucrative right now does not mean all the other factors come together. Agreed. Uh, do buy a house because you're settling down and you need a place to live for a minimum of five years. And if you've got all the other financial pieces in play, uh, buy a house if it will actually meet your family's needs right. based on your actual budget. Uh, buy a house because you're financially ready. That's so key. so do and don't, do and don't, right? Okay, so um, again, I'm going to point you to leosabo.com and accessing the resources and going to the create a budget or the budgeting tool download it. It's free. Uh, download it. 
open up the spending guideline percentages at the very bottom of that Excel sheet. There, there's a tab that it helps you build a budget. And then there's a tab that shows the guideline percentages. And I'm just going to walk through some numbers real quick. Um, if, if you Google it, Hey, how much house can I afford? Mm -hmm. Or, or if you talk to your realtor about how much house you can afford, or you talk to your bank and that's where most people start because eventually the bank is going to be the one that loans you the money. Sure. And I say the bank doesn't mean you're, you don't have to go to Wells Fargo. There are a hundred different banks out there or a thousand different lending institutions. Right. So when I say the bank, I mean the lender. Um, and everybody knows somebody who knows somebody who's kind of in the industry. No, no, no. You want to shop this competitively. And so you do check with multiple lenders, but they'll tell you what you can afford, what they think you can afford but they don't know your exact personal financial situation. Mm -hmm. And the incentive of the bank or the lender and the incentive of the realtor who's selling you the home, the incentive for them is to sell you a bigger house, uh, a bigger mortgage, more debt, because the bigger they sell you on, the more money you spend, the more commission they make. Sure. It's, a, it's what's called a perverse incentive. Their incentive is actually to now potentially harm you. Yeah. But it feels really good when they tell you that you can afford a huge house yeah. or something that you never thought you could, you could, you're like, oh my gosh, that'd be my dream home. And they're like, well, we can make it happen. And so you feel, you feel good. They feel good. Everybody takes pictures with their realtor like, hey, things are great. Just bought my first house. And like, you may have just wrecked your finances for the next five years. <laughs> or 30. Or 30, right? <laughs> yeah. and, and they're holding the key up and they're, they're giving their realtor a kiss on the cheek like oh my gosh it's amazing i'm like okay a it's possible for that to happen there are really good realtors with really good hearts that will do will treat you with integrity but there are also people on the flip side of that who there is a perverse incentive for them to sell you something that you can't afford but they can make the numbers work but it really isn't good for your finances so let me let me tell you what what i think just a basic idea would be uh go go check out that budget tool it will tell you based on your exact lifestyle, the, your income, season of life, it'll tell you what your guideline percentage should be for your net, your take-home pay, what percentage of your take-home pay can you afford to spend on housing. And so I just pulled up kind of the average of that. It's around 30% of your net, your take-home pay. So let's say that your gross pay, let's say you're making $80,000 a year, uh, in your job, your net would probably be around 65,000. Uh, when you begin to put in taxes and somewhere taxes are going to be around 12% of your overall income. Now, again, that's specific to you because there are different people who are taxed differently in this country for different reasons. And those tax credits and all and the that's what I, yeah. to consider. And that's what I mean. There's tax credits, there's tax deductions, there's small business owners, there's, there's so many factors in that. So that's why we would say your net, because the industry would look at your gross. Mm -hmm. And there's a simple, simple rule of thumb that says, oh, just buy a home that is two and a half times your income to three times your income. And so they would actually say, oh, you, you have a $80,000 net income. Great. Buy a $200,000 house up to $240,000. That's two and a half times your annual income to three times your annual income. It's a decent rule of thumb for when you first start shopping. But it's not detailed enough. But it's not detailed enough. Mm -hmm. That's not your personal financial situation. So now let's go to that 30% of your net. So let's say that your net take-home pay is $65,000 that leaves you $1,640 that you can actually spend total in housing, $1,640.
that means that you could probably get a $170,000 loan, which would be an $861 mortgage, but you also have property taxes, about $340. You also have insurance on that home, $110. And you have other housing expenses uh, like electricity, water, gas, internet, for another, yeah, maintenance mm -hmm. for another $329. So let, let's round it. Let's say you have a mortgage at around $850, property taxes around $350, insurance a little over $100, other housing expenses maybe $350. That equals up to that $1,600, $1,640 range that mm. you can afford month to month yep. for your housing. But that is $861 for your mortgage, which is a $170,000 loan. Which not a $240,000 loan. Yes, not a $240,000 loan. That's the difference. The difference ends up being several hundred dollars a month. And that several hundred dollars is the difference between you feeling pressure every morning when you wake up or you feeling margin every morning when you wake up. Mm -hmm. And when your hot water heater goes out, you can immediately afford to take care of it. So these are the things that you need to look at when you talk about housing and making good financial decisions. Yeah, that's great. I do believe that if you look at these numbers realistically and don't take the word of the lender or the word of your realtor, you should come to this decision after you've done enough of your own work to make sure that the numbers work for you. And once you do that, then you know it when you're ready. And really, that's that's what David and I do. When we meet with somebody that wants to buy a home, we're going to look at their budget. We're going to see the percentage. How far off is it where it needs to be? Is it a healthy choice? Is it is it going to stress them out? Is it going to put them in a in a position where there's plenty of margin? And that's the way we would guide you to, to, uh, to go, is to make sure that you're doing your own work before you actually step out and ask somebody, how much house can I afford? Because it really doesn't matter what somebody else says. It's a matter of what you can do. Well, we want to thank you for joining us for this episode. We hope that it was helpful for you. And if you'd like to hear more, subscribe to our podcast, either on Apple Podcasts or any other podcast app that you're using. And if you like what you're hearing, please rate, review, uh, and just tell everybody about this content that we're producing. It's for you and it's for them, and I hope that it helps. To gain access to this podcast show notes, the financial tools, and other relevant content, please visit leosabo.com where you can find out more about me and everything that I'm up to. David, where can people go to find out more about what you're doing and what you're up to? Yeah, come visit stewardshippastors.com and check out the book Jesus on Money and just watch some of the videos on there. I know it'll be helpful for you in your journey of managing resources. That's awesome. Well, again, thank you for joining us. We hope you'll join us next time so that together we, we can, can keep, keep getting, getting money, money right. The difference ends up being several hundred dollars a month. And that several hundred dollars is the difference between you feeling pressure every morning when you wake up or you feeling margin every morning when you wake up. Mm -hmm.